Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Good morning, everybody. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, a very familiar passage. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Last week, we spoke of being a follower of Jesus and not merely believing he is the Son of God. We also spoke of Jesus' first teaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. After calling his disciples, Jesus began to preach around Galilee, speaking in the synagogues and healing people of different diseases and sicknesses. What is overlooked is that he also was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's what Matthew tells us. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But what is this good news? And what is the kingdom? Well, you'll remember last week I spoke of the tyrants who ruled Palestine at this time. There was King Herod Antipas. There was the Roman military governor Pontius Pilate. There was the high priest of Jerusalem, Caiaphas. And there was the Roman Emperor Augustus Caesar. Each claimed absolute rights over the life, death, and property of the people in various parts of Palestine and nearby areas. The people of Palestine had no choice over who their rulers were. And so most assumed that the way to succeed in life, the way to live in the kingdoms of the four tyrants, was to imitate the tyrants, to seek power and climb the ladder of success by stepping on the people below them. King Herod Antipas, he claimed power based upon ancestry. His power was the power over the Jewish people because they were Jewish. Just as many other tyrants throughout history have made a particular clan of people their base of power. For Napoleon, it was the French for Hitler, the Germans, for Mussolini, the Italians descended from the proud Romans. For others, less well-known, 
It was a particular race or tribe or language. But all sought power from these people to fight those people. Pontius Pilate claimed power based upon the existing army that he controlled. He didn't particularly like the people in Palestine, but he had been sent to do a job, control the area, collect taxes, and keep down trouble. And so he did with excellent efficiency, thanks to the military forces that he found there who were better armed and better trained than any soldiers the occupying people, the occupied people could oppose them with. Caiaphas, he claimed his power came from God. He claimed that if you did not do things the way he wanted, if you did not worship according to the rules of the temple that he oversaw, God would destroy you. And of course, the God Caiaphas claimed to serve did not make any obvious definitive statements on the matter about whether Caiaphas was doing the right things or not. But the God Caiaphas actually served, who was the Roman emperor, he could destroy him if, he was, if there was trouble in Jerusalem. So Caiaphas play, paid attention to the emperor. And then there was the Roman emperor, Augustus, who claimed his power based upon the ancient customs of Rome, his ability to control the Roman Senate through his armies and informants who would remove anyone who was a threat. He also claimed power because his uncle had claimed to be descended from the goddess Venus. In these four kingdoms, men and women alike chose to follow their tyrants, gaining and losing power according to the rules of their particular tyrant, all the while becoming slaves of their particular tyrant. But Jesus preached that the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven, preached by both John the Baptist and Jesus, was an interesting idea. It was new. It was based upon the idea that a man or woman could choose to give their loyalty to a different king rather than one of the four tyrants. It was this idea that while tyrants and their soldiers could take material property from a person, while they could beat a person's body, and while they could even take their life on this planet, they could never force a person's loyalty because ultimately that was a choice of the heart. A person might be a slave to one of the tyrants, but his or her citizenship could be in the kingdom of heaven, ruled not by a tyrant, but by the loving, supremely powerful God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promised Messiah, a man descended from the great and powerful King David would be their king, a king who would sooner or later return to rule in Jerusalem. Jesus' healing ministry got all the press, got the attention of a lot of people. Everybody loved the fact that oh, this man could come into town and he could just lay hands on you and you would be healed of all sorts of diseases and sicknesses and lameness and blindness and, and other issues. But his teaching and his preaching of repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, that was what got the hearts of the people. When compared to the evil, nasty, brutal ways of the four tyrants, 
Who would not prefer a man who loved God and who kept God's commandments, who was morally and ethically upright, who was gentle, who brought justice and mercy as a humble leader? It's important to notice that at this time, Jesus spoke as a prophet. He he did not yet claim to be the Son of God. He did not yet claim to be the Messiah. No, instead he behaved as one of the great prophets of old had behaved, teaching people and reminding them of the scriptures of, of old and sometimes saying things about the leaders that the people loved. And so one day, as large crowds began to follow him and listen to him, he went up on a mountainside near the Sea of Galilee, and he sat down, and his disciples, the twelve nearest ones, maybe there were only four at that time, but they all came to him, and he began to teach them how things would be in his kingdom, this kingdom of heaven. And it was a difficult teaching, because Jesus turned things upside down, declaring that the things that people hated were actually blessings. He established a moral order, a way of living, a new way, a way of valuing things which was directly opposite to what almost all people of the time believed. And indeed, even today, it's directly opposite to what almost all people today believe. For you see, only our tyrants have changed over the centuries. Instead of King Herod Antipas, we have the tyranny of our slavery to cash money or to our political party. Instead of the Roman Pontius Pilate, we have the tyranny of needing to look good and fashionable. Don't I look good today? That was a joke. (laughs) I guess I don't look so good. All right. (laughs) Instead of the high priest Caiaphas, who controlled proper worship, we have this tyranny of needing to speak really carefully, using the proper words and the right accents. Don't say y'all and never speaking incorrectly, lest we be canceled. And instead of the Roman Emperor Augustus Caesar, who had laws that covered 200 million people, we have the tyranny of local, state, and federal democratically elected governments that control far more things in our lives through laws freely made by democratic processes than any Roman emperor ever did in the days of the emperor. And we know these laws were made because the slaves of the various tyrants still operate within our borders. And they still seek power and wealth and success by creating fear and climbing on the backs of other people. Thieves still exist and murderers still exist. And above all, all those who would force people to become their slaves still exist. Some have great power. Others have little power. But maybe that power is only over a household or a spouse. But they're all still slaves of one of the four tyrants. And so we've made these laws to keep control, to keep things from getting out of hand. And we freely chose the laws, but it becomes a tyranny for a lot of people. There on the mount, Jesus taught those listening and following him about the kingdom of heaven. He began by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It was a shocking idea, this idea that those who have a weak spirit, a humbleness, and maybe little hope that they should have a kingdom. Didn't everyone else teach 
that you had to be strong and confident, maybe even a little bit arrogant, looking people in the eye and staring them down to get ahead, to become a leader, to become powerful in the kingdoms of the tyrants. But the kingdom of heaven would go to the humble. Have you learned to be humble, which really is thinking more of others than yourself? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What do you mean? Those who mourn are blessed? But that's in contrast to those who do not mourn. The people who have such stone-cold hearts that they've never mourned the loss of a dog or a cat, let alone a spouse or a child or parents. Those who mourn are blessed simply because they have the capacity to mourn. And that means that they will be in the kingdom and one day, one day, they will see their loved ones again and be blessed. While those who never mourn, those like the tyrants of the earth, and their willing servants, they will not be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven because their hearts have been too hardened. Have you the soft heart that mourns over the loss of a sapling that you planted? Or when you hit a possum on the highway at 11 at night, do you mourn? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But you know, it always seems like the loud rather than the meek will inherit. But the Greek word praeus that's used here for meek means much more than timid. Instead, it speaks of a blend of gentleness and powerful strength, as with God's strength under God's wonderful control. To be meek, to be praeus, exercising strength like a gentle, giant Clydesdale plow horse that you would trust with your three-year-old. Imagine the quiet man who can lift 200 pounds and never brags about it. Imagine the man who can endure a terrible tongue lashing at work or at home and never fight back. Imagine the woman who plowed the garden by herself and she raised five children without welfare because her husband was in jail. These are the strong, the meek, the quiet who will inherit the earth. Do you have that strong, quiet strength that is biblical, weak, biblical meekness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness and revenge, they're two sides of the coin. Unfortunately, we mostly hunger and thirst for revenge, don't we, against those who have hurt us, whether the bully at school, the woman who said evil things about us or our children, the man who laid us off, the politician who took our money to give to friends or the person who attacked us on Facebook. The difference, you see, is that righteousness is what the kingdom of heaven brings, not revenge. For some do evil for selfish reasons, but you know, others are hurt because there simply wasn't any good choice. Revenge would hurt both. Righteousness looks for what's right and good and tries to have a good outcome For all people concerned, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or do you hunger and thirst for revenge? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The kingdom of heaven is not based upon karma. The idea that you get what you have coming to you. That's much harsher. 
Instead, the kingdom of heaven blesses those who are merciful by showing them mercy. We may say we want justice, but you know that's only for others. We want tough rulers, judges that give harsh sentences, but we always need to remember that the tyrants of this world give justice to all except their closest friends. We always want mercy for ourselves, not justice. And in the kingdom of heaven, those who show others mercy will be given mercy. For the kingdom's not about punishments, but growth in character. And that usually means mercy instead of justice. How often have you asked for justice for yourself instead of mercy? No, we ask for justice for others. And how often have you shown mercy to others? Particularly those who have become infamous and notorious, who have done things that you dislike, who have become famous in the news for the evil things they've come to do. Do you ask for mercy for them or do you ask for justice? Show mercy and you'll be given mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The tyrants and most people have thought that the way to see God is to be the greatest in the world, seeking success by any means. After all, if you're successful, God will want to talk to you. But God will not give an audience to those who fight and claw their way to the top. No, to see God requires a purity of heart. For like all persons, God does not like to be around nasty people but prefers the nicest people to be around God. And God, unlike most of us, has the power to keep the nasty people and the impure people away. For God is pure and does not want to be contaminated by the evil around us. Have you chosen to cleanse your heart, asking Jesus to help your heart become pure, only dwelling upon the good and the clean and the pure? Or do you spend a lot of time dwelling upon the impure and the rotten and the evil of the world. Do you know what I mean when I talk about a little dog that's an ankle biter? I call him that because once when I was a teenager, I was reading gas meters in my father's uh, mobile home park, and here comes Fonzie. He's a little Pomeranian. He had a yep-yep voice, and he had very sharp needle teeth that went right here ankle biters. In our world, there are a lot of things biting us around the ankles. There's all sorts of little distractions taking, taking us away from the good and the pure, just making us frustrated and angry. They're ankle biters because when Fonzie latched on to my heel, I just kept doing this, and you can imagine the dog just moving along with me. He held on, but I could keep going and pretty much ignore him until he fell off. Don't let the ankle biters of the world take you down. Instead, dwell upon the pure and the clean and the good. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Our world is full of people who will fight, who want to fight, who look for reasons to fight. And of all the strange ideas that Jesus brought to the mount that day, it was this idea that those who make peace will be blessed 
that confounded all the people. For a while, you know, we did respect the peacemakers, the men and women who looked for the happy compromises that settled disputes, but we have turned back to the old ways, the ways of fighting. Many look to politicians who promise that they will never compromise. Many look for the politicians that push the envelope, the men and women who declare that they will destroy the enemy. Even in our church, we do that. But still, it is the peacemakers who are, looking upon, who are looked upon by the people who would simply live out their lives without extra strength, without extra stress, without fights. People who would win because they would mind their own business, seeking simply to be left alone. These people love peacemakers. It's the peacemakers that the sensible people love. And it's the peacemakers who live out their lives in the kingdom of heaven instead of in the kingdom of the four tyrants. The kingdoms of the four tyrants, oh, they encourage the fighting. But God asks us to be at peace, as any good father wants peace in his, in his family. It's the peacemakers who are part of that family, children of God. And while those who desire fighting, they are children of Satan. Remember that the next time you think to respond on Facebook to a post that makes you angry? Ask yourself, whose child are you? Are you a child of God or are you a child of Satan? Respond accordingly. There are different ways to respond to people who irritate and anger you. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdoms of the four tyrants will not be happy with the citizens of the kingdom of heaven because it threatens their power. And power is what tyrants and their slaves desire before anything else. And so the slaves of the tyrants will persecute those citizens of the kingdom of heaven, often because the citizens have chosen to do the right thing, righteousness. If you're following the laws of the kingdom of heaven instead of the laws of the tyrants, be blessed and you will continue to be blessed in your life because you will know that you have done right and God knows that you have done right and you will continue to be blessed in the life to come. And Jesus tells us more about persecution. He tells us, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice that this is a conditional persecution that, gives, that gains this blessing. It's when you're persecuted because of Jesus. Jesus told the people that day that being persecuted was not a cause for shame, but a cause for rejoicing. For that means that you have spoken enough. And you have done enough that the people around you, the slaves of the tyrants, have seen you as a threat to their power, just as in the old days the prophets were attacked for speaking the words of God. But then again, it is possible, and this is the other side of that condition, it's possible to be a jerk, still thinking that you're doing right, but being a jerk. We have to be careful to be righteous. And that includes being gentle and kind when we speak to others. And if we are persecuted then, well, then we are blessed. But don't be a jerk. 
It's not the way to be blessed. This is not a blessing when you do evil. No, it's when you're attacked for doing good that the persecution, insults, and false statements about you become a blessing. So do good boldly. Heaven will reward you. The Sermon on the Mount has become extraordinarily famous over the centuries, perhaps because it's so difficult to understand if you're a slave to the tyrants. The lines of the sermon flip over what I call schoolyard wisdom, the so-called wisdom of boys and girls in the schoolyard at recess. For how many of you grew up knowing that the important, the successful kids, they were the ones who were arrogant, who could drink and smoke at a young age. They were the tough ones, the loud ones, the bad ones, the mean ones, the ones who started fights and the ones who bullied the kids who never fought, who caused trouble for the kids who turned in their lessons and did well on tests, the ones who bullied the, the kids who helped the poor kids, the ones who bullied those who went to church twice a week. Schoolyard wisdom taught many people today how to live as slaves to the tyrants. The lines of Jesus' sermon teach us how to live free and bask in God's blessings. Jesus' sermon was not intended to be listened to once. It was intended to be read and studied and listened to until it became second nature in our lives, the behavior of those who would live in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus showed his disciples what he meant then over the next few months by demonstrating this in action. For to leave the kingdoms of the tyrants, we have to choose a different way of living. Or otherwise, we're still slaves of the tyrants, just as people were in Jesus' day. So will you turn to Jesus to change your life, to change your core beliefs about living? Or perhaps you are a person who does like the ideas of Jesus, but you do have the wisdom to recognize where, you, where and when you are still a slave to the tyrants. How do we move from being a slave of the tyrants to being a citizen of the kingdom? How can we be assured that we are now citizens of the kingdom, assured in our, in our ability to be with Christ forever? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, had worked very hard to be a good Christian. He worked so hard, but things always seemed to go wrong. Then one evening, reluctantly, on a friend's suggestion, he visited a meeting where the book of Romans was being studied. And it was there that it came to him. As he wrote in his diary, my heart was strangely warmed. That evening, he finally came to realize that he had already believed that Jesus was actually God walking on the earth. He believed, he knew that he'd been baptized and he knew that he was trying to follow and imitate Jesus, and that he'd been regularly identifying where he fell short of imitating Jesus, and regularly confessed those sins or shortcomings to God. The key thing that John Wesley realized that evening was that this was good enough to be accepted by Jesus. There was no particular standard of perfection required, just that sincere attempt to be following and imitating Jesus every day. And that gave him the settled comfort, the settled assurance that John Wesley was beloved by God and Jesus. And beginning that evening, Wesley relaxed into the love of Christ. 
And beginning the next day, because he realized now that he truly was loved by Jesus, he was able to begin to try different things, to do wonderful things in his ministry, coming up with new ideas that were somewhat risky, still messing up occasionally, but knowing that Jesus did not demand perfection from him, only that daily continual attempt to reach others about the love of Christ and to improve his own holiness. Wesley, who had already devoted his life to this mission, he now became wonderfully effective. And soon 20,000 people in England claimed to be Methodists. And then that movement spread to America and other countries and other groups adopted many of the Methodist ideas. For that blessed assurance that Jesus loves those who are trying daily to follow him, who are following the rules of the kingdom better and better over time, even if they aren't there yet, that blessed assurance gave Wesley and many others since then, the freedom to walk away from the fear of the tyrannical rulers who insisted upon perfection, and then to become full citizens of the kingdom of heaven where they were loved by God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jump aboard and jettison your fears and fall in love with our ruler, Jesus Christ. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.